Welcome to Hakol Radio's Top 3 segment, where we discuss the top three news stories of the day. Hakol Radio, powered by the Muncie Mavasser and broadcasting live from Schlerko Studios in Muncie, New York. Number 1 Yair Ansbacher, an IDF reservist and a research fellow at the Miskav Institute, tells Israel National News, Arutz Sheva, that the war Israel embarked on is not only against Hamas in Gaza, but also against Iran and all its branches in the region. Quote, we are not only fighting Hamas in Gaza, but a regional war against Iran and its proxies, which have been systematically built up for 40 years on our borders. This includes Lebanon, Syria, Yemen, and Gaza, which surround us with militias of the type we saw on that black Shabbos, and with rocket arsenals, says Enzbacher. He has no doubt that the origin of the murderous terrorist attack by Hamas is in Iran, and in his opinion, the plan was much broader. Quote, the Iranian plan is structured in a diabolical and creative way, like a chess move they wanted to attack both the Galilee and Gaza at the same time, with the two forces that were built for this purpose. The Radwan force from the north, which, cons- which consists of several thousand fighters, much better trained and skilled, and with more advanced weaponry, and the Gaza Nukba force that we saw in the south. In the south, he says, these forces were supposed to neutralize the local military resistance by surprise, pass it, create a line of defense, and use the civilian population as a shield in the most cynical sense to make counterattacks difficult. They were to take hostages and bargaining chips. The goal was to complicate the idea of counterattack. And in such a situation, you create a line, and within it, you can open logistical routes to Gaza. From there, reinforcements will arrive and replenish forces and supplies, and in between, you use all that evil that can come out of Gaza to begin the gradual purification, quote-unquote, of what bothers you, he adds. Ansbacher says that the military targets were the first target. What worries Iran are the Air Force and the Intelligence Corps, and they were easily accessible to those who entered. What's more, there's a population that is essentially anti-Israel in the south of the country, and if the plan is successful, it was to, pro- was to be promoted and harnessed to gain support from them for their cause. Ansbacher enumerates that despite the heavy price, three miracles, quote-unquote, had occurred that day, and had they not occurred, the attack would have ended in a much more difficult way. The first miracle, he says, is that they didn't implement the Iranian plan well enough. They jumped in without the northern front that would have divided us. When we raced to the south on Chavez, I looked at the clock and thought that if they don't attack from the north, we'll win. Once we organize, they have no ability to activate their full plan. It's a miracle that they didn't come from the north. The second miracle, says Enzbacher, was that they did not act well. The Palestinians who came were not well disciplined. They knew how to carry out the original plan, but as soon as our forces appeared, it disrupted everything for them, and they had no ability to improvise. They engaged in shocking and horrible looting and murder games, but they didn't fulfill the military tasks. They were in ecstasy, probably drugged with a substance that gives a lot of courage, but narrows their view of the world. It's a lack of professionalism that saved the situation and gave us more time, he adds. And the third miracle, he says, is that in 75 years, the state of Israel has helped people realize that even Jews can and will fight back. Hamas did not encounter sheep waiting for the slaughter, but a collection of men and women who fought them in every possible way. Local emergency squads that we found lying in the grass eliminated hundreds of terrorists. Policemen with pistols fired and managed to stop vans full of terrorists with automatic weapons. Then the IDF forces came and with a lot of battles, 
they created the overall solution to the problem. At home, he says, people don't really get it. They see difficult images and the media unfortunately promote them and serve as a great propaganda tool for Iran and intensify the feelings through which terrorism works. But Ansbacher claims that the overall feeling in the IDF is one of strength and optimism and his message to Israel's enemies and the enemies of Jews around the world is that Israel will destroy Hamas and may it serve as an example to Iran and the rest of the world to never again harm Israel or any Jew around the world. Number 2 By scrapping the Iowa primaries, demoting New Hampshire from its first in the nation perch and moving up South Carolina's primary election to begin the balloting, President Joe Biden was hoping to preempt a nuisance primary challenge that could embarrass him before the general election. But that may be precisely what he has invited upon himself. While Iowa has gone quietly, New Hampshire has, has unsurprisingly refused to cede its cherished role. The threat of being stripped of delegates in one party's primary in a single election was hardly enough for the state to give up a 123-year tradition that New Hampshire holds the first primary, a right that also happens to be required by state law. Since 1920, New Hampshire has played a major role in presidential politics as the home of the first in the nation presidential primary. While the Iowa caucuses technically happened first, the New Hampshire primary is the most important test for any serious presidential contestant before the action explodes across the country. New Hampshireites take pride in this tradition and take their voting rights very seriously as it can easily make or break a candidate. New Hampshire's intransience was entirely predictable and Biden should have known as much. Yet he led his animus toward Iowa or New Hampshire where he never gained traction in his three presidential bids and his desire to reward South Carolina, which vaulted him to the White House, steer his thinking. Now, the Granite State will once again hold an election to begin the presidential nominating process. Biden will not appear on the ballot, and Democratic insiders are being made to organize a write-in campaign to ensure that the sitting president prevails when the vote is held in January, which may have been the end of the story before last Friday, October 27. That's when, just hours before New Hampshire's filing deadline closed, an earnest Midwestern congressman saw his opportunity and took it. Representative Dean Phillips from Minnesota signed his declaration of candidacy and paid the $1,000 fee to appear on New Hampshire's presidential ballot. Quote, I learned to love my country right here in New Hampshire, Phillips said, recounting to the photographers, reporters, and state officials cramped into the Secretary of State's Capitol office how he spent his summers at a camp in the White Mountains. He also revealed his inscription on the, his paperwork, stating, I love New Hampshire. President Joe Biden now has competition in the 2024 Democratic primaries. Number three. The National Archives stunning admission that it has located 82,000 pages of potentially government-related emails from Joe Biden's pseudonymous pri prime private accounts not only threatens to supplant Hillary Clinton in the annals of email scandals, but it could also provide a boon to the ongoing federal and congressional investigations into the Biden family. The public is also sure to scrutinize the matter in upcoming elections. The admission came out on Monday, October 30th as part of a Freedom of Information Act lawsuit, a FOIA lawsuit, brought by the nonprofit Southeastern Legal Foundation. Quote, we're duty bound to make sure that everyone's, everybody's following the law here. And it sure looks like that's questionable at this moment, Representative Scott Perry from Pennsylvania said, and he, as a member of the House Oversight Committee, he is conducting the Biden impeachment inquiry right now. 
Perry told the John Solomon Reports podcast that lawmakers in Congress must take action to ensure all the emails are preserved, given the history of Hillary Clinton's team trying to delete her private emails or to destroy the, de- the devices they were stored on. We knew the left was going to try this, Perry said. Hillary taught us, and why would we think that Joe Biden would be any different? And as long as that's the case, I think we got to make sure that Joe Biden doesn't have a hammer sitting close to his phone. We got to make sure that the American people can see what was so important to keep from them as a member, as Joe Biden was one of the highest elected officials in the land. And the only way to do that is to make sure that the stuff is preserved. Senator Ron Johnson from Wisconsin, who first raised questions about President Biden's use of private private emails years ago, said the discovery of the emails should be combed for potential evidence by every investigator from Congress to the Justice Department. Thanks for tuning in to the Top 3 segment live on Hako Radio, and have a great day.